Well, good morning. Happy Valentine's Day. So I hope your Valentine's Day is off to a great start. I, I can't see you now, but I like looking out over the crowd when uh, the lights are down because that's the only time I can actually see who's here. So uh, it's good to see you guys all here. We're glad to have you guys. My name is Donnie. I'm the executive pastor here and uh, super glad to uh, be able to be a part of this message series uh, that we're in here today and so glad that uh, you guys get to be a part of it today too because I'm talking about one of my favorite topics this morning, and if you ever hear me preach, you'll hear me say that a lot when I preach. So God is just a really favorite topic, so it encompasses just about every sermon. So uh, it's truly, I, I am going to be talking about something I'm pretty passionate about today, but uh, before we get into the message, we just want everybody to be aware of the fact, those of you joining us online and uh, those of us in here, we have a live Q&A. Um, and that's there for you to use. We want to know your questions. And we know when we're doing a series like this that sometimes we might be talking about things that you don't know about and you have questions or you don't agree with and you want to question us. Uh, whichever way it is, we are more than happy to receive any of that and talk about that. Uh, but we've got some incredibly cool stuff coming down the line here in the next maybe a month or two. Uh, Chris is working behind the scenes real hard on some cool things that we're going to be doing even with this uh, digital experience. So we encourage you to be watching for that, but uh, that means it's even more important that you guys send in your questions because we want to do some really cool things with that new experience that we're going to be uh, adding to our digital engagement with these questions and answers. So last week though, uh, Matt kicked off a new series called In the Beginning. And uh, a fantastic series. If you were not here, you've got to go back and listen to it because it sets the foundation for what we're talking about today. I'm going to highlight a couple things, um, but uh, I already cut out seven pages of notes and I don't have time to preach his sermon. All right, so uh, we're going to get into it and uh, just uh, I'm going to unleash a fire hose of information. So uh, just uh, buckle up because you're in for a ride. So uh, let's, uh, let's get started with a word of prayer, though, just so I at least slow down just a smidgen. So let's ask God for a little bit of control here this morning. So let's pray. Dear God, we just uh, come before you this morning, and I thank you so much for this day that you have truly given to us, Lord. As we celebrate the love that we have for one another, God, I pray also that we are uh, celebrating the love that you have for mankind. And as we study your word today and we realize just how powerful your love is and has been over the millennia of time, Father God, and how true you are to your promises, God, I pray that you just take the words that I have this morning and they, may they be your words and not my words. Whatever is true, seal them up in our hearts. Whatever is false, God, I just pray that you just let them fall by the wayside. And so, Lord, just let your spirit just speak to our hearts and minds. May we receive what you have for us today. And uh, God, may I just be a, a mouthpiece for you today here this morning. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to try not to stray too far from my notes because if I do, we're in here for a long time, all right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of hover around these little babies for your benefit, all right? So I can't review all of Matt's message this morning because uh, it, it just is... There is so much there. I just really encourage you guys to go back and listen to it because I really am building upon it. And he talked about uh, some incredibly, uh, incredibly important elements as we go through this series because we're talking about the creation, fall, flood, and some of the pillars, the cornerstones of what Christianity is based upon. All right? And so uh, if you miss a foundational piece, some of these other elements that we're adding to it, they may not make as much sense. So I really encourage you to go back and listen to that. But I am going to highlight a few things, like our theme verse, which comes out of Genesis 1.1. Kind of makes sense that that's where we'd start. In the beginning, all right, and, and Matt talked a lot about 
in the beginning last week as well. And then he continued to carry on and talked about God created the heavens and the earth. All right. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 1, chapter 1 out of the book that we say guides our faith. Right. So I want to challenge you with something. And if you're not uh, familiar with Christianity, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a lot of information. If you don't believe in Jesus this morning, uh, that is fine. I just want you to listen and just kind of think through some of the stuff that I'm talking about. And if you are a follower of Christ this morning, I might be a little bit more challenging to you this morning because there are some things that are coming down the pipe uh, from the levels of the pulpit that are really concerning to me because it really challenges the validity, validity, man, I'm struggling with big words this morning, validity of the word of God. And so this, what happens as soon as we read this verse, I want you to understand that the same temptation that Satan came at Adam and Eve with, he's going to come at you with, all right? And so especially if you're a skeptic of any sort, and that deception that he started out with since the beginning of time is the very same deception he's going to use on us out of verse one, all right? And the deception is this. Eat from the tree of knowledge, for God is not who he says he is. Eat from the tree of knowledge, for God is not who he says he is. So as soon as we start talking about creation or uh, we start talking about science, there's this natural apprehension, like the church doesn't know what they're talking about because if you really knew science, like you couldn't be a Christian. Like God doesn't work that way. And there's like this little battle of God versus science, and it doesn't have to be that way. And it, it fascinates me that we're falling for the same deception that Satan laid out for Adam and Eve way back in the garden. You guys, if you're just smarter than, than the average bear, you'd realize that God's lying to you. That's how he started his whole thing. And we do the same thing with science today. If you guys, if you guys were just an intellectual, you'd realize that the whole book that you base your faith upon is wrong. Do you see how this is correlating to when we talk about science and how it erodes the fabric of our faith, I want to I just start there because I'm going to hopefully restore that foundation a little bit. I, I'm not going to restore the foundation. I hope that God, through his word, restores the foundation. Let me clarify that a little bit more. So I'm fascinated that we continue to fall for this deceit, uh, and, I, and I call it deceit because one of the most common uh, misconceptions and deceptions that I think that is... Um, eroding the pastoral pulpit right now is that you'll hear many pastors and I've got lots of friends and, and if my friends are listening to this uh, you already know I disagree with you so it doesn't really matter um, so the, there's this idea that the Old Testament is all an allegory it's metaphorical and it's oratorily handed down and it's just a story driven uh, process and I can't disagree more and there's a reason why there's this thing called the New Testament in the New Testament, the, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, okay? It is. It's oratory. It's, it's handed down. It's, a, it's poetic. It's, it's metaphorical. It's allegorical. I agree with all those statements. Until you get to the New Testament, which is written in Greek. Very linear in thought. It's very matter-of-fact. In fact, if you don't know this, America's pretty much built on Roman and Greek culture, okay? So we are very linear in our thought process. Guess what the New Testament's written in? linear thought process. So we're going to go to the New Testament because I love the New Testament because it only reinforces what the Old Testament says. So Genesis 1-1, let's go to John 1-1. All right, so what does John 1-1 say? In the beginning was the Word. Oh, wait. Well, that's not in the beginning God, right? Well, 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was, was, and the Word was God. In the beginning was God. Just like Genesis 1-1. This is New Testament. This is, all right? He was with God in the beginning. But it doesn't say he created everything, right? <laughs> oh, shoot. There it is. All things were created through him and apart from him. Not one thing was created that has been created. Huh. Now, I get that we get challenged by the Old Testament, but when we start reading the New Testament, I really challenge you, challenge yourself, all right? Think through this whole process. What is being thrust upon us from the world of academia that wants to challenge and erode your faith, all right? Now, I'm not going to try and prove to you this morning that, that every word of the Old Testament is 100% true. I'm not going to try and do that one at all. I just want you to understand that there might be a different approach to interpreting science through a biblical lens than only through what's being given to us uh, from the world of academia right now. Now, I could go on and on. There are so many different New Testament passages that kind of reinforce the, the idea of the creation. There are so many New Testament passages that, I, that reinforce the Old Testament, what we call stories. They aren't just stories. They're what we build our faith upon. These are the cornerstones. These are the pillars of our faith. And like Matt said last week, if God didn't do it, all right, if Genesis isn't true, then you don't need Jesus. That's the reality of the day. If Genesis is a false book, if Genesis is simply a story, then I'm going to tell you all right now, you should just pack up and go home. And you should stop following Jesus altogether. Because the only reason we need Jesus is because of what happened in Genesis. And if Genesis is false, then Jesus is a liar. All right, So we're just going to keep going on and see if that's true or not based upon the New Testament. But Last week, Matt shared with us how Genesis unfolded, all right? And, the, and Genesis, meaning the beginning, the story, the, the foundation, the creation, all that the unfolded at the creation of man. He talked about what sin does to us and personally, and then he talked about what sin did to relationships, and then he talked about what sin did to everyone in the world around us and how that continues to invade the world around us today, all right? And this broken relationship of God and man that Matt talked about last week uh, it continues on throughout the history of time. And then as Matt closed last week, he, he used a statement that we use at Growth Track. And it's a, it's a statement that I actually came up with. And I used very specific words in this phrase. And it says, Jesus of the New Testament is the answer to the curse in the Genesis of the Old Testament. And this right here, in the Genesis, I have the in the Genesis on purpose, not in Genesis, but in the Genesis, because all of Genesis is a story of of mankind and of God, all right? This is the beginning, and Jesus is the answer to that curse all through, the, all through Genesis. If you read Genesis, you'll see the curse <laughs> happen over and over and over again. You'll see, new, you'll see covenants being made between God and man. We just sang about the promises of God, and, and I don't know if you know this, but that was on purpose uh, because of what we're talking about, all right? And so the promises that we're singing about are the very promises that Jesus promises to fulfill. And so in the New Testament, we have Jesus fulfilling all of this all of the curse that was put upon mankind, and he is now the fulfillment of the covenant. In fact, that's why it's called the New Testament. It's the new covenant. Jesus is the new covenant. 
He fulfills it all. He redeems it all. So if the Old Covenant is wrong, if the Old Testament is wrong, then there really is no need for a New Covenant or a New Testament Jesus. All right. So that's why we have this. Jesus is the answer, and we're building today's message off of this promise as well. All right. So as we continue to go along, Matt talked about a, a timeline. And I just want to fill you in on we're only to Genesis 6. All right. And I, I want to tell you, we uh, have already gone this far along the timeline. Starts out around, and this is answers in Genesis, and like Matt said, if you don't like that timeline, call them, not us. All right, so here we go. So 4,000, around 4,000 B.C. is creation. Uh, the flood, 2348, roughly. And how do we know that? Well, because there's this thing called astronomy and, size, and, and all the different things that happen in the way that the world would have happened and what would have been going on, and they can kind of time things. Plus, we have the timeline in the Bible. A lot of people that have a lot more time than myself figure that out. So about 1,700 years, in other words, from the time Matt and I talked, from 1,700 years have passed between now and last week, all right? So we're about at the flood, all right? So uh, depending on how you want to look at that. And the account of Noah and this goes from Genesis chapter 6 all the way to Genesis chapter 10. Now I'm going to read a big portion of the story, all right, just so that, you can, so that we have an idea of the framework of what we're dealing with here this morning. Um, I'm not going to read every verse, and so you'll see in the, as I go along and I read it, you'll see that I jump down past several verses, not because the other verses I'm skipping aren't important. I feel like the ones I've included encapsulate the story pretty good. Go back and read the whole thing uh, after today. But there's a few of the phrases that I want us to understand as we go through here this morning that are integral for us to be able to understand um, how, how amazing this story of the flood really is and how it continues to impact our world today. And I hope that by the time you leave this door, these doors, how it continues to impact your faith this morning. So the first chunk that we're going to read is Genesis chapter 6, verses uh, basically 3 through 14, all right? And so I'm just going to read through it here and, and stop along the way. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. All right? So, and if you think about this, my, this is Old Testament, and if you think about the New Testament, who, which part of God's character deals with man? His spirit. That's why he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. All right, why? Because the Holy Spirit's role is to punish man on earth. God will punish man at the end of time. All right, Jesus came to redeem man and the Holy Spirit contends with man. All right, so even in the beginning, the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. Keep going. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. And when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans, they had children by them. They were heroes of old and men of renown. And if you, if you study this, there's, you could actually go into Greek mythology. And if you wonder where Greek mythology came from, it's probably from right here. Not enough time to go into that. Keep going. All right. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become. How wicked the human race had become. 1,700 years, remember. All right. And the folks were living about 900 years. They could pop out a lot of babies. Let me just tell you that right now, all right? So the human race had grown exponential. If you're into uh, actuarial science, do the math. Start figuring out generations and how many, how many people could actually have populated the earth. There's people that are out there. You don't actually have to do it. You can look it up and Google it. Uh, it'll show you how many people possibly could have been on the earth then. But it was wicked, all right? And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all the time only evil that is not that is not a good sign for us keep going 
So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created. I'm going to wipe you all out. Hey, you are dead to me. Talk about a cancel culture. All right. And with them, the animals, the birds, and the, create, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Well, if God didn't create them, who is he to destroy them, right? All right. Who is, who is God that he has the right or authority to do this if he's not who he says he is? Keep going. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. One, one man in the realm of mankind. Hmm. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. And I am surely going to destroy them, destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark. Make yourself an ark. All right, we're going to stop right there just for a second. Uh, from that point forward, uh, I'm going to skip a lot of verses because God goes into great detail on, for Noah for how he's supposed to build the ark, lots of other little details in there, how he's going to bring the animals in and who and what he's supposed to bring on the ship and all that good stuff. Um, but depending on who you talk to, uh, I, wa I want you to understand how long it took to get from where I just stopped to where we're going to be in a second. Depending on who, which scholar you read, biblical scholar, it took Noah between 55 and 70 years to build the ark. All right? In the middle of land where there was no massive body of water. All right? Yeah, Matt got it. All right, so if you don't picture this, all right, imagine your whole life, because we only live to be about 70, maybe 80 years old on a good day. All right? And then your, your adult life, your whole adult life is spent building an ark in the middle of land. Imagine the mockery that he would have faced by all the people around him. God already said he's going to wipe them all out, so I don't think he got a lot of support from the people around him. You know what I'm saying? So for 55 to 70 years, he's there building this ark. Okay? All right, so then he goes on and Noah does what he says. All right, keep Pick it up here, and we're going to read through all the way. We're going to go all the way through to the end of the story here now, all right? So Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Wow. That's, that's obedience. Keep going. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, all right? So Noah's 600 years old. Now remember, everybody's living to be really old back then, all right? So the, the world that was around was different than the world we have now. Uh, if there are certain theories that are correct, uh, we would have been protected from the ultraviolet rays a lot more back then. And because our DNA hadn't been as sinfully uh, corrupted, um, we didn't die as fast either. So in the 600th year of Noah's life on the 17th day of the second month, so February 17th, all right? I don't know how many thousands of years ago from here, like 6,000. On that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. So the springs of the deep, that's, that's volcanic activity. All right, keep going. For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth. And as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. All right, 40 days. And a lot of people, because of our wonderful um, Flanagraph Sunday school stories back in the day, we think, oh, it only rained for 40 days. And they were only in the ark for 40 days. Eh, wrong, keep going. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Covered the mountains. All right, here's the idea where we get the idea of a global flood. Could it have possibly happened? Do we find fossils at the top of the Himalayas? Marine life, I wonder. 
Why, yes, we do. It's called taphonomy. Look it up. Anyways, keep going. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped off the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. Are you really sure about that, God? Really? Only Noah? Are you positive, God? Like, it wasn't just like a local flood right there in the little region and the boat just lifted up. All right, keep going. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to a rest. All right? On the mountains of Ararat. So we kind of know the region where to look. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. So not until basically October, all right, could they even see the tops of the mountains, all right? So again, the mountains were totally covered. Now around October, it comes up. And by the first day of the first month, all right, so now we're two more months later, first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, all right, he's been in the ark for 11 months now. The water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, ah, one year, the earth was completely dry. That was one year and one month later, basically. Or one year and ten days later, sorry. Not one month. One year and ten days later. Keep going. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife, your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, the creatures that move along the ground, so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. All right, God redeemed all the earth through what was saved on the ark. All right, keep going. And then he went on in chapter 9. See, if you're paying attention, we jumped made a big jump right here. I established my covenant with you. Oh, here's another idea of the covenant. Remember, Jesus Christ is the answer to the curse of the Old Testament. I established my covenant with you. Never again will, I, will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Then say he won't destroy the earth. He says he won't do it by the flood. Keep going. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. So for all of us, we benefit from this sign in the sky every time uh, we get the right reflection of rain. Keep going. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. All right? Between me and the earth, and for all of us, therefore, after. All right? So this is that, this is that story of destruction. The story of devastation upon the earth unleashed by God, the creator of all things, because wickedness had become too much. The, the stench of humanity had become too much. The arrogance of man setting himself up to be higher than God. I wonder if we're getting to that point where the arrogance of man is trying to make ourselves look like God right now. So is this just a story that God was all ticked off one day and, and it's just a story that was passed down from generation to generation to make children be afraid of God? Or did God really do this? And again, we go to the Old Testament and, and people will say, well, it's just a metaphor. He's just telling this a little story and it, there's really no science that backs all this up and so we have to be careful that we don't really believe all this. Again, I want to take you to the New Testament. Right? In fact, I don't want to just take you to the New Testament I want to take you to Jesus himself. 
right? I want us to read what does Jesus say about the flood, all right? Go to Luke. Luke chapter 17, verses 26 to 27. Huh, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. Huh. So is, is, is Jesus just telling the story now? Is, is the person that we're building our entire faith upon a liar? Huh. Interesting thought. Then the flood came and dest- destroyed part of them. It was just a localized flood, guys. Don't worry about it. I'm just telling the story. No, it destroyed them all. This is Jesus' words. You see, this is where I have a hard time just looking at the Old Testament as an allegory. When Jesus repeats the very same words and phraseology, it causes me to listen a little bit more. Keep going. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. And look at what Jesus says. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. He's coming again. So this, this idea that there's going to be this death and destruction upon the world again because of the wickedness of man. It says, just like in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. The wickedness is going to rise so high that God's going to once again have to say, I will not contend with mortal man forever. And so he sent his son to redeem the world so that we could have hope, so that we didn't get wiped out again. But he says there's going to be a destruction once again. There's going to be a judgment day once again. And it's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah and in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you don't know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's another uh, act of destruction. So I, I just challenge you, if Noah never lived, all right, if Noah never lived and the flood never happened, then Jesus is a liar. I don't know how else to put that. Like, if the flood is just a story, then our foundation, our faith is built upon some pretty grandiose lies. And I don't know about you, but that's, I'm not going to stake my life upon that. So I, I've, I've studied a little bit. I, I struggled with this in the early stages of my life because I want to know, like, God, if I'm going to devote my life to you, I really want to make sure that you are who you say you are. If I'm going to tell people about you, I want to be confident that I can stand up there and, and promote the, the scriptures as being an authority. And so I want to, I want to be even more bold, right? I want to even be, challenge you that Christendom, all of Christendom, hangs on whether or not God created the world, punished the world, promised to save the world from punishment again. All right? All of Christendom hangs on whether or not God created the world, punished the world, and then promised to save the world again from punishment. Okay? In a nutshell, that's what Jesus came to do. He came to make sure that it was, we weren't, he, he's our ark. And he promised everybody that believes in him is going to be saved. So now is that all just conjecture? Or is there truth in that? Because if, it, if it's just conjecture, then there's really no need for Jesus at all. If the flood never happened, if destruction never happened the first time, then we don't really need to believe Jesus' words that he's going to do it again. Right? All right. So I'm not going to pound that point home too much more because now I'm going to get into science. All right? So I just want you all to know, how many of you absolutely love science in here? Anybody, any science lovers in here? 
All right, then the rest of you are just here for me to talk to them. Okay, so if those of you that love science, I'm going to give you some different types of sciences to look up. Right? You've got paleontology, meteorology, hydrology, mythology, taphonomy, and geology, just from these passages alone that you can go out and study on your own. Okay? Now, I don't have time for all that science this morning. I'm just going to talk a little bit about geology today. But I want, to re- I want you to rest assured that when we start talking about the global flood, there is all kinds of science to back up a global flood. I'm telling you, all kinds of science. Now, I do need to help you understand a little bit about science and what I believe about science to be true as you study it. All right, The first one is this. Okay? All science is influenced by your bias and presupposition. All, right? all science is influenced by your bias and presuppositions. All right? I will tell you my bias right now. I'm not ashamed of it. I will tell it to you right now. My bias is highly predicated upon the fact that I believe that God was and God created. Those two things create my bias. Everything else from that point forward, all of my science is interpreted through that lens that God is who he says he is, God did what he said he did, and God will do what he's going to say he's going to do again. And my science had better back up what the Bible says. All right? And so that's my bias. All right? That's called creationism. All right? There's another, that's a theory though. All right? That's a, uh, I shouldn't say science. That's my theory because I wasn't there. None of us were there for the creation. So creationism is a theory. Now there's another theory that's out there that wants to challenge your belief in God, that wants you to eradicate the need for God, that wants to set man up as a supreme being, that wants to set knowledge up as a supreme being, that wants to set science up as a supreme being. It's called evolution. And if you don't understand evolution, it wants to erode the fabric away of this idea that God ever existed, all right? And both of them are, are theories. No one was there for evolution and no one was there for uh, creation. So uh, science has to be observable and measurable, right? We can't do either one with creationism or evolutionism. But I will promise you this, whichever one of those theories you pick for your, for your base, your presupposition, it's going to, it's going to affect the way that you view science. Now, all the things I just listed off were sciences. Geology, taphonomy, all the other ones, meteorology, those are all sciences. Why? Because they're, they're observable. You can measure them, all right? So I would just want to give you a brief history on geology. I don't know if you know this or not. But up until 1790, all right, 1790, so that spans 6,000 years of millennia, Every culture, every person believed that there is a God that created and God destroyed, all right? That was the realm of, of geology. In 1790, we have what's, uh, what we call the Age of Enlightenment, all right? And I don't know if you know about the Age of Enlightenment, but it was really the idea of setting man up, this idea of searching after knowledge, and it was a day of reason, and it set man up as God. You should really read about it. It's really fascinating because it affects us today. And so these guys that came up with a new theory in 1790 were products of the Age of Enlightenment, the erosion of God being taken out of science and everything else, right? And so there are two guys by the name of Cuvier and Smith, right? Cuvier and Smith, they popularized a new form of geology, a new study of geology, okay? And it's called catastrophism, all right? Now, catastrophism, it wasn't an obliteration of everything that had been 
understood up until that point in time, but it removed the idea of God, all right? And it says this, that it was the view that starts with a supernatural beginning and incorporates various catastrophes occurring over the course of millions and possibly billions of years. And then it also incorporates some localized floods and things like that. That was catastrophism. Now you might be like, okay, whatever, that kind of sounds like the flood. It kind of does without God. It just, they didn't want to identify that God was the one that caused any of it or did any of it because if God can punish, then, um, then that means that we better obey him. All right. So now this catastrophic view of geology only lasted for about 30 years. You want to know why? Because the Age of Enlightenment continued to influence our world of academia, all right? And so we had to continue to remove God out of science, all right? And so uh, there are many theories that were continuing to become more and more popular. And so about 1830 comes along, all right? And in 1830, two more men come along by the name of Hutton and Lyle, all right? Hutton and Lyle, they introduced a new form of geology, all right? Again, study of, we're all studying the same rocks and the same observable science, uh, but they came up with the science called universe, uniformitarianism or geological or geologic gradualism, all right? Now, who cares, right? Because half the audience, or actually 97% of the audience said you don't even care about science. So you're like, I don't really care, Donnie, just get on with this. It's Valentine's Day and we got lunch coming up, right? All right, so why should you care? Because this idea has been eroding away culture and the pulpit for 200 years, all right? And so it took 200 years in the Age of Enlightenment to erode away God out of science. It's taken another 200 years for science to erode away God out of the pulpit. And that's a problem. And it's because of this idea of uniformitarianism and gradualism. I want to introduce you to two guys because there is hope. Uh, one is by the name of Dr. Victor Agar. All right? And uh, he is a renowned geologist. He is also a atheist. He is an evolutionist. So the, uh, the guys that I'm going to quote are not creationists, all right? I just want you to hear what evolutionists are saying. Look at what Dr. Ager said uh, in 1981, all right? He wrote a book called The uh, Stratigraphical Record, um, and uh, he's a renowned, respected scientist, all right? He says, we have allowed ourselves to be brainwashed into avoiding any interpretation of the past that involves extreme and what might be termed catastrophic processes. Because in uniformitarianism and gradualism, they take away this idea of a, of a, a global flood. And so anybody studying geology automatically, if they come out of any world of academia, you're not allowed to believe in a global flood. And so Dr. Ager, uh, he traveled to over 50 countries after he was a professor. He got tired of being a professor, so he went in the field to actually study everything that he'd been teaching. And once he got out in the field and started studying everything, he's like, um, yeah, you know that thing called gradualism that we taught? It is impossible based upon observable science. And he, and he faced all kinds of backlash for this statement. Now, you might not think that's anything big, but when he says you're brainwashed into avoiding any interpretation that might involve extreme catastrophic processes, basically what he's allowing is massive floods to have existed. But he didn't become a Christian, unfortunately. He just created a new way of thought, all right? So he promoted a new thought called neo-catastrophism. Right. Yeah, we don't want to repent. We don't want to put God back in our science. We're just going to create a new science. And now we're going to call it neo-catastrophism. Looks a lot like a biblical flood to me. 
But I'm just reading what the evolutionists say, all right? And so he had a guy that he was also studying from uh, by the name of Dr. J. Harlan Bretz, all right? J. Harlan Bretz did his life work on a place called the Scablands in Washington, all right? And if you've never been there, it's fascinating. Do your own research. It's, it's beautiful. But Dr. J. Harlan Bretz said this. He said, ideas without precedent are generally looked upon with disfavor, and men are shocked if their conceptions of an orderly world are challenged. All right, J. Harlan Bretsch was also an evolutionary geologist. But once he got into the field, he realized that uniformitarianism and gradualism didn't work when he's studying the scablands. And so he, he went on to all kinds of trouble. He was ostracized in the field of geology, but he continued his dedicated work. And finally, in 1994, seven years after he died, he was posthumously honored and decorated by a plaque at the Scablands that read, that finally acknowledged that the Scablands that once were thought to have taken millions of years were actually carved out in a matter of days and months, which is what Dr. Bretz was trying to, to identify. Now, he held the neo-catastrophism. He was not a Christian. He didn't want to believe in God. He wanted to believe in this idea that there is a catastrophic event that caused the geological formations that we have today. Now, this is just geology. I could go on and talk about Dr. Steve Austin and his work with the Mount St. Helens eruption, how he, he sent away a rock to get tested, and they came back and they tested it, it being millions of years old. And he's like, uh, wrong, guys. We know when Mount St. Helens went off, and uh, you're wrong. Like, it's 20 years old. All right. And so he began to, his, the, his study of Mount St. Helens totally changed his idea of uniformitarianism and gradualism. You can read all about him. He's the most boring lecturer you'll ever listen to. I will warn you of that, all right? And so, but you can study him, all right? This is all out there. This is, but it's not in your science books. It's not in your kids' science books. Why? Because if it was, it might point to the need for God. Amen. And that's the problem that we have today. We have pastors that are no longer pointing people to the truth of the Word of God. Why? Because we might bore you to death with what we find. We want to be popular. We want to be, we want to be smart in the world of academia. We want the little letters beside our name too. And if we, if we espouse creationism, we'll be blackballed by the societies that, that give us those little letters. And I just don't care. My wife will say it's because of my sparkling personality <laughs> it is what it is right i just want to close with with the book out of peter or a statement from peter because i believe that as we read the word of god the word of god reinforces our faith at a level that we can't even begin to espouse now i could go on and on about science i actually absolutely love science I would love to talk about taphonomy. I really would. If you don't know the word, look it up afterwards. It's, it's, the, it's how fossils are made. Fascinating science. Really, 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 really supports the idea of a global flood, by the way. But I want to read from uh, Peter. And uh, just imagine that Peter were standing here after my long diatribe here this morning, all right? Just imagine he's here uh, uh, reaffirming what I just said. He says this, I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking. I tried. I don't know if I did. I tried. I tried to refresh your memory. Refresh your memory to what? Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come. They will mock the truth and they'll follow their own desires. They will say, what happened to, Jesus? What happened to the promise? 
Jesus is coming again. It's been 2,000 years, you dummies. From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Oh, another repetition of the creative story. Keep going, Peter. Oh, I love this phrase. They will deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command. They will deliberately forget. Hmm. You see, I get that the world doesn't want God to be true, but what really pains me is I have so many pastor friends that are deliberately forgetting that God created the world. When the pulpit starts preaching a message contrary to the word of God, it causes me great concern. Because if we wrote away the fact that God is who he says he is from the beginning of time, there really is no need for the church. And there really is no need for God. And Peter says that they will deliberately forget that God made the heavens and the earth by his command, by the word. Remember, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word, uh, by his word, his command, it was created. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water, just as a creative story Matt read about last week. Keep going. Then he used water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. By the same word, the word that was with God and the word was God. The present heavens and the present earth have been stored up for fire. Not by flood again, but by fire. They're being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. Just as in the days of the Son of Man. Just in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. Keep going. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. Oh, I love this part. The Lord's not slow. No, he is being patient for your sake. He's being patient for all of our sakes. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He doesn't want anybody to be left out outside of the ark anymore. But he wants everyone to repent, but we've got to change the way we believe about what God did in the beginning. Keep going. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. The heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. The very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found will be on it will be found to deserve judgment. Keep going. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight, not the world's sight. Pure and blameless in his sight. I'm going. And remember, the Lord's patience gives time for people to be saved. Remember, the Lord's patience gives time for people to be saved. And so at Journey, as you walk in through those doors, we have a big sign that says, we exist to humbly point everyone to absolute hope. I don't know where you're at in your walk with Christ today. And I, I do use sarcasm. I apologize if my personality gets in a way. But I want you to know that there are alternative views to what the world is thrusting upon us today. It can be backed with science. It can be backed with common sense. And we exist on this earth to try and point people to Christ while he is being patient with us. Because we do believe that his word is real. We do believe 
that he is coming again. We do believe that there is a punishment awaiting evil once again. And we do believe that Jesus is the only way. That's the absolute hope part. And we invite you to be a part of that with us. To espouse this message to a world that's being darkened even by some messages from the pulpit. The truth doesn't need a defense. It just needs to be revealed. We are the ones who will reveal it. We are the ones who are going to tell our friends. And all we're trying to do is equip you so that you have the tools that you need to be able to tell others about the amazing love story of Jesus Christ. Today is Valentine's Day. There's no greater love story than Jesus. He is infinitely patient. I don't know if he's going to tarry another 2,000 years. He could. He could come back tomorrow. Says we're going to be eating, drinking, and marrying until the day he comes back. We don't know. He says he doesn't even know. Only God the Father knows. We spend a lot of time guessing when we should just be being ready, telling people about Jesus. So as we go through this message series, I want to end on the same statement Matt ended with. Jesus of the New Testament is the answer to the curse in the Genesis of the Old Testament. The challenge is, will you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? He is going to overcome all death. He has overcome all destruction. And he simply wants you to live with him forever and eternity. All he asks of us to do is to repent, which literally means to, be, to change the way that we think about who we say God is and who we say he is. We've got to repent of what the world says about God and we need to turn to Christ and say and believe what Christ says about God. And it's your choice. He doesn't force any of us to do that. So I want to challenge each of you here this morning. There would be no greater uh, Valentine Day, you know, when you're a little kid and you got your little box and you want to see who sent you a little love letter. Well, God sent you a love letter today. He says, believe in me. So there's no greater love letter to receive today than Jesus' invitation to live with him forever, free of all death and destruction. Let's pray. I do want to give everybody a moment because I don't know what God's doing in your life. If there's someone in this room here today that's like, you know what? I'll, I've resisted God for so long, it's time for me to, to make a choice right now. If there's someone in here today that just wants to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the first time, just slip your hand up. I want to pray a prayer with you real quick. Nothing to be ashamed of if that's you today. Just go ahead and slip your hand up and I'll say a prayer. For those of us that are believers, I just encourage you guys, dig deep into the word of God. Dig deep. Let his truth invade who you are in your mind. Dear God, we just come before you right now. I thank you, Lord, so much for who you are. I thank you, God, for the truth of your word. I thank you for the power of your authority. I thank you, God, that you have given us minds to be able to understand. And Lord, I just pray that you just be with us. Lord, if our paradigms are being challenged this morning, may your Holy Spirit guide us to your truth. God, I pray that you would just, uh, that you would just be honored, that you would be glorified through our message, through our lives, through our actions, that we would live in a way that points people to you. Lord, there are things that we don't understand. God, forgive us for that. But help us, Lord, to know that you are truly the only way.
You are the only way to receive the freedom and the love that you have promised. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. We glorify your name. And all God's people said, Amen.